The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. Good to see all of you. I can't quite see you yet, but I will in a moment. Um, if you're new with us, uh, my name's Brian. I'm the lead pastor here, and I uh, have the privilege of preaching the word this morning as well. I just want to say welcome. I know these are strange times, and uh, I appreciate that you would be willing to come and join us for corporate worship uh, to hear the word of God, to study it with us. If you are new and you want to be known, the easiest way to do that is there's a connect card in the seat back in front of you. And uh, you can fill that out at any point during the gathering. There's some black boxes in the back on your way out. You can just put it in the boxes. Uh, I'll also be around. would love to talk with you. And if you're watching online and you want to be known, uh, you can go to mdcashville.org connect. And uh, there you'll find the same online version of the connect card. So I uh, hope that you'll do that. Robbie, can you hit those lights for me? behind you. Thank you. Uh, Before we get going with uh, scripture study this morning, we're going to welcome some new covenant members. And so uh, I got a list of names here. I'm going to call out. And um, as you hear your name, why don't you come on up here to the front? It'll be like Price is Right for Jesus. So uh, Marty and Kimberly Henderson. There we go. I don't even have to look at the book. Uh, Caleb and Lauren Lawson. Hannah Vitelli, and then there, there are a, two couples who are not able to join us this morning, but are also going to be joining, and those are Richard and Cecilia Goodrum, and there they are, a beautiful couple, uh, and Mitch and Abby Bearden as well, so they will be joining us. So these folks have gone through our covenant membership class, which is a two-part class. Uh, in fact, the next one will be in October. We'll get some dates out to you about that. Uh, but the, the, they are saying this morning they want to join with us on mission. They, they want to help push forward for the sake of Jesus. And, uh, and this is what the covenant says. It says, we the undersigned, that would be them, covenant to be joined to the visible expression of the body of Christ through Missio Dei Church as members, submitted to one another and serving the spiritual maturity, unity, and impact of our congregation in our city, region, and around the world. So um, I'm going to actually wait until after service and have you sign this, all right, because so we, we got stuff to do. But uh, if you welcome these folks into covenant membership, will you just give a round of applause? How about that? Let's do that. And I'm going to ask one of our elders, Mark Knox, to pray for us and to pray for these people uh, before we get into our study this morning. Thank you, Mark. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these families who have, who have uh, chosen to join with us, but, but deeper than that, that you have brought to us. Lord, in the midst of this, this time of over a year of various things, new things, uh, virtual church, um, not meeting, meeting, masking, not masking, all these things, Lord, you have continued to grow your work here at Missio Day, and we thank you for that. Thank you for each of these families and who, and who they, they represent. We thank you for their children that are, that are also with them. And Lord, we pray that as, as we work together as the body of Christ in this place, that we would be able to impart to one another the gift of faith and we would be able to encourage one another in the faith of Jesus Christ. 
Lord, we also now turn our attention to other things that are on our minds. Lord, uh, again, we are just, we are just seeing this, this pandemic kind of ramp up again. And Lord, we ask, how long? How long will this have to go on? Lord, we long for the day when, when there will be healing among, among your people. And I know, Lord, that, that here on this earth we will always have tribulation. Here on this earth we will always have sickness and we will, we will always be dealing with these things. But Lord, we long for that brighter day in your kingdom when you create a new heavens and a new earth and sickness will be done away with and, and heartache and sorrow, every tear wiped away. Lord, we pray for those who, again, are on the front lines of, of dealing with this. I pray, Lord, you give them strength as they again ramp up and uh, have to deal with more and more people in the hospital. Lord, I don't want this to be kind of a downer prayer. I, I want to express my trust in you and our trust in you. And so, Lord, we... Um, we just love you, and we, we thank you for your provision to us. Lord, we also want to pray for, the, for our kids going back to school very soon and the teachers who are going with them. Uh, Lord, we thank you for, for them and their willingness to be uh, on the front lines in that, in that regard, and we pray for them. Lord, once again, Lord, we love you. We ask that you now visit us. Teach us through your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, you guys can go back. Caleb, I'm going to give you this. You can sign it whenever you want, and then you, we'll pass it along after the service. How's that? All right. We're so professional here. Uh, all right, if you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, please open it to the book of Zephaniah. You may or may not know where that is. And if you don't, that's okay. Uh, look in your table of contents. God gave you that for a reason. Uh, or you can Google it, but that's where we're going to be is Zephaniah chapter 3. Uh, before... I read the scripture. I also want to let you know, back in the spring, we recommended this book called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. And uh, some of you picked that up and read it through the Lenten season. Uh, but if you didn't get a copy, or even if you did, we have, I think, over 200 copies of this book that Crossway Publishers gave to us for free. And so we want to sell them to you. No, I'm just kidding. We want to pass them along to you as well. Uh, so after the gathering, if you would like a copy of Gentle and Lowly, they are at the Connect desk down uh, at the end of the hallway there. Please feel free to take a copy, and uh, I would love for you to have it because this is a phenomenal book about God's heart for his people, uh, God's love for his people, and would love for you to have a copy of this, okay? Uh, Ryan, catch this one. Good job. All right. Uh, Zephaniah 3 is where we are. So uh, we'll be back in the book of Acts next week uh, when we go back to two gatherings. Uh, but as I told you last week, there were a couple of passages that I just wanted to share that the Lord really used to impress on me during my time away uh, through the month, uh, uh, you know, July and August there. And uh, so Psalm 23 was what I shared with you last week. If you didn't hear that, I would love for you to go back and, uh, and listen to it. Uh, not because I thought what I shared was so great, but because God's word is so great. Uh, and then this week we find ourselves in Zephaniah 3. And here's, here's my goal for today. We're going to ask maybe the most important questions or, or one of the most important questions that we will ever ask in our lives. And that's this. How do you think God views you right now? How do you think God views you right now? 
Because here's the reality. Okay, we all have relationships with people, and we all have people that if we run into them in public or we see their number come up because they've texted us or called us, we have one of two emotional responses, right? Some people, are, we have a big smile on our face, and we're full of joy, and we're like, oh, I can't believe I ran into you. Good to see you. And other people, we go to the next aisle to avoid them. Or there's a sense when we see their number come up on our phone of like, oh, God, I can't do it, right? That we're filled with anxiety or, or anger or bitterness, right? And I think some of us think that God thinks about us one of those two ways. I wonder which way it is. When God looks at you, when he thinks about you, when he sort of bumps into you, what is his emotional response? What is his opinion of you? What does he think of you? And what can you do about it? That's what I want to try to get our arms around this morning. So Zephaniah, I hope you have found it by now. Uh, chapter 3, we're, we're going to pick it up in verse 9. I'll read to verse 17. I'll pray for us and we'll get going here. So follow along with me if you would in Zephaniah chapter 3. For at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughters of the, my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. On that day, you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth any uh, a deceitful tongue, for they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Sing loud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgment against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst, and you shall never again fear evil. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, once again, we come into your presence just um, giving you thanks and praise for the opportunity to gather with your people, uh, to gather under the authority of your word and to let you speak to us. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill me as I proclaim this word that I would rightly divide it for the glory of Jesus and for the benefit of these people. And I pray more than anything, Lord, that we would get a sense this morning of the unrelenting love of God for us. We thank you for this opportunity and we pray your blessing over our study in the beautiful name of your son, Jesus. And everybody said, now, some of you may know very well the story of Zephaniah. Some, for some of you, in, in, you know, the pages of Zephaniah in your Bibles might be well-worn. 
Uh, but I'm going to go out on a limb and just guess that for a lot of you, you don't know the story, okay? Uh, it's, it's one of those minor prophets. We don't cover it all that often. Uh, and so I, I will catch you up to speed. But I wonder, if you're not familiar with the story, what you think of when you hear these words about God exulting over and singing over his people. I wonder if it occurs to you that you go, you know, man, these must have been some very special people to God. And that's true. They were a special people to God, but not because of anything in them. Rather, it's because of what's in him. It's who he is, not who they are that caused him to have such a love and care for them and to consider them special. In fact, the people of God at this time were, to put it lightly, a nightmare. All right? Uh, They were very religious in their practice, and yet their hearts had strayed far from God. There had been a renewal in generations past under a man named King Hezekiah. He's actually the great-great-grandfather of this prophet, Zephaniah. And Hezekiah loved the Lord, and he had led the people back to repentance and restoration and to following God. But his son and his grandson and his great-grandson did not love the Lord, and they had led the people again astray. People wandering, chasing, we'll, we'll see come up some of their sin in a minute here, but uh, just, just pursuing all kinds of things except for the Lord and then still coming to church on Sunday, so to speak. And, and so God raised up this man, Zephaniah, to be a prophet during this time. He also uh, raised up Josiah, who is also the great-great-great-grandson of Hezekiah. Uh, they're cousins. Josiah became king at the age of eight. Now, if you have trouble putting your third grader to bed, put a crown on him. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) But but by God's grace, Josiah loved the Lord. And so did Zephaniah. And God used the two of them to to bring renewal once again, or at least to attempt to bring renewal once again to the people of God. So this passage, as we looked at starting in verse 9, says at that time, right? So so God has given Zephaniah a, a... picture, a vision of a future for those who would hide themselves in the mercy of God. So he says, at that time, and what will happen at that time? I'm just going to kind of list out what we see in in the passage here. It'll be a day of purified speech. The lips of the people will be pure once again. They will be dependent on God. There will be unity among the people of God. They will be generous It's a day where forgiveness will flow freely for all of the shameful acts and rebellion of the people of God. It's a day where humility and justice and truth will prevail. But it's that day, which means that day ain't this day. And so you're starting to get a sense. None of these things are actually taking place on this day. The people of God are far from all of those things. So you're starting to get a a bit of a picture of the state of the hearts of the people at this time. In fact, I'm going to skip backwards to chapter 1. You don't have to follow me there, but but here's what we find in chapter 1. God is very, very angry at the sin of the people. And if you're a note taker, uh, this is my first point. The anger of God at sin. Some of you might be going... How are we talking about the love of God? We're going to start with anger. Well, we have to, okay? The anger of God at sin. So here's how the book of Zephaniah starts, God's words. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I'd say he's a little ticked, 
All right? He is furious. He's angry. And we start to get a picture in chapter 1 of what's going on. Uh, in chapter 1, verse 4, we see that the people have given themselves to idolatry. There's the worship of Baal, who's a false god, among the people of God. We see in verse 5 of chapter 1 that, they, that they're, still, they're worshiping these other gods, but they're still worshiping the God of the Bible as well. So there's a, a pluralism that's going on among them. And in verse 6, we see uh, that, that they are not pursuing the, law, the, the Lord. There's no relationship with him. It says, uh, they don't seek me nor inquire of me. So they have a transactional relationship with God, not an intimate relationship with God. They're not talking to him. They're not praying. They're not asking him for counsel. They're not involved. Now, these are all symptoms, right? Worshiping idols, uh, um, clinging to other things and God at the same time, not, not pursuing him with intimacy. These are all symptoms of something else. And we get a picture in, in chapter 1, verse 12 of, of what that is. Let me read it to you. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and I will punish the men who are complacent. Those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. So here's what's happening. The people of God at this time are complacent. What does that even mean? One translation put it this way, that the people were spiritually stagnant. Complacency is a smug self-satisfaction. A dullness. Uh, a sense of self-righteousness. Literally, the word that's used here in the Hebrew means to be thickened or curdled or congealed like uh, the bottom of the milk jug when it spoils, right? Uh, if you've ever, uh, you know, if you're a wine drinker, you might see sediment in the bottom of a bottle. That's the dregs, right? Or if you uh, ever brewed wine or beer, you have this stuff, this sort of slurry that's left at the end that stays, you don't pour that into your container, like that stays there. And if you leave it for long enough, it starts to get thick and gloppy and smell really, really bad. That's complacency. That's what God says the people of God, their hearts are like. They are stagnant. They are complacent. They're, um, they're curdled in their hearts. And here in chapter 3... We get sort of a summary of the hearts of the people. Look back with me at chapter 3, verse 2. This won't be on the screen, so just look at it in your Bibles or on your device. She listens, speaking of, of his people as, as his bride, so to speak. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. That's a summary of what complacency looks like. And I'm just curious, you know, is that where you find yourself today? Are you complacent? Have you grown stagnant? You're not attending to your own soul. You're not pursuing the Lord. You are largely self-sufficient. That state of heart makes us prone to all kinds of wickedness, prone to idolatry. Some of us worship comfort. And, and so we do everything we can to, 
to be comfortable, right? That's why you have seven different streaming subscriptions. Some of us worship financial security. And so you're not generous because you're holding on to what's mine so that you will feel secure. I've already stepped on some toes this week, so I'm just going to keep on going. All right. Um, Some of you, this is not everyone. So please, please hear my heart in this. It is fine. It is good. It is, it is wise to be cautious about the rise of Delta. We all should be cautious. Whatever your conscience tells you, you should, be, you should do that, okay? And, but there are some of us who are idolizing safety. And you have spent more time on the CDC website and reading, reading news articles about the rise of COVID than you've spent with Jesus in prayer and in his word. And none of that has made you less anxious. You're more anxious than you were before. Some of you idolized freedom and autonomy. And you've spent more time looking at stupid memes to put up about how masks are a sign of the beast than you have spending with Jesus. And it hasn't made you any less angry, has it? All of us are guilty of judging others for not doing what we're doing. And many of us are living as if there's no God who's in control of all things. You need to know that God hates our sin because he loves us. Some people struggle with the sense of an angry God. And I, and I get that. But you have to understand that anger is the product of love. If you don't love anything, nothing ever makes you angry. But to the degree that you love something, you are angry when the thing you love is threatened. I'll give you an example of this, maybe a painful one for some of you. If any of you have ever loved someone who struggles with an addiction, you know that the more that you love that person, the more you hate the addiction in them because you know their potential. You know who they could be if they were free from this addiction. And the more you see that addiction ravaging that person you love, the more angry you are at the sin in them. That's exactly how God feels about our sin. He is not some cranky old man in the sky shaking his fist at us and telling us to get off his lawn. That's not the heart of God. God is love. And God loves us fiercely which is why God is adamantly opposed to the cancer of sin inside of us that is eating us alive. So he gives this promise. I don't know if you caught it. Look back with me at the text. Um, We'll start in verse 12. But I will leave... Actually, let's start in 11. On that day, you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, these haughty, arrogant people who say that they love me but but don't. You shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly, and they shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth any deceitful tongue. Listen to this. For they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. 
Does that remind you of last week's passage, Psalm 23? The good shepherd who who makes us lie down, who leads us to green pastures where we can graze, graze still waters to restore our soul. See, God promises to do something to deal with our guilt and our shame, something we can't do for ourselves. He's going to be a good shepherd to his wandering sheep. And boy, is that good news. So let's look now at the mercy of God for sinners. The mercy of God for sinners. Look back with me at verse 14. You guys hanging in with me? The mercy of God for sinners. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. And you shall never again fear evil. So what is God's response to our complacency and our sin and our failure? It's astounding. In the very same book that we see some eye-popping descriptions of the anger of God at sin, we also see one of the most, maybe the most moving description of the love of God in the entire Bible. And this might be surprising to some of you. Like we, we get that God hates sin, but we have, we have a hard time believing or accepting that God loves us. And, and my entire goal for today, more than anything, is that you would know deep in your soul that you are loved by the God of the Bible. Like, really loved. And so as the prophet describes that day, uh, I think he uses it 18 times in the entire book of Zephaniah, also called the day of the Lord or the day of great judgment, As he describes that day, he's also calling the people of God to sing and rejoice, which doesn't really make any sense, right? I'm going to judge you. Sing. (laughs) What? Why? Why are we singing? Because God was going to do something for them that they could not do for themselves. You have to know this. God was not making empty threats. He wasn't just threatening to harm them and then wasn't actually going to do it. Here's Here's the reality, though. He did act in mercy to bring about revival in that time. Um, Through the prophet Zephaniah, through King Josiah, who loved the Lord, there was a time of renewal. Uh, Josiah, I think it was the age of 26, this is in 2 Kings, uh, they discovered the word of God again. It had been buried and hidden and no one had the actual word of God. So they discovered the word of God and Josiah has it read. And all of a sudden there's weeping because they realize how far from God they've strayed. So Josiah institutes all kinds of reforms. They tear down all the places of false worship. Uh, they, they reinstitute the Passover. They do all of these things in order to revive the hearts of people and bring them back to God again. And it lasted for a season. But as you and I read these words here in 2021, where should our hearts and minds immediately go? 
That God will do something for us that we could not do for ourselves. That he will take away guilt and shame. Where should our hearts go? I got a lot of work to do here, okay? The Sunday school answer, where should our hearts go? Jesus, right? The gospel, the cross. I need you to see that the cross of Christ is the greatest act of love in history. God could have rightly judged, he could right now, he could rightly judge every single one of us for all the many ways that we have failed to honor God rightly, for all the ways we have failed to worship him and do the right thing and, and honor him with our thoughts and our minds and our actions. He could judge every single one of us, but instead this is what God chose to do. He came after us in love through the person work of Jesus. Beloved, it... It was love that sent Jesus from the glory and splendor of heaven to a manger in Bethlehem. It was love that led him through a life of poverty and sorrow over 30 plus years of his life. It was love that caused him to preach and to heal, though he was always misunderstood and often rejected. It was love that that took him to the Garden of Gethsemane until he sweat drops of blood. It was love that laid him on the cross so that nails could be shoved through his hands and his feet and a crown of thorns placed on his brow. It was love that held him there as he endured wrath and judgment in our place. It was love that made him bow his head and give up his spirit in order to pay the debt of sin that you and I owe. It was love that lay cold in the grave for three days until judgment was fully satisfied. And it was love that conquered Satan, sin, death, and hell and redeemed a people for himself. And it is right now love that is in your midst, love that will never judge you again and, and, and you never have to fear evil because he is with you. That is the mercy of God for sinners. And so lastly, this may be the hardest point I'll preach. I want you to hear and see the delight of God in you. The delight of God in you. Look with me at verses 16 and 17. On that day, which by the way, the day of the Lord, the day of judgment was inaugurated at the cross of Christ. There is another day coming when Jesus returns and he will defeat all of his enemies He will make all things new and we will be with him forever. But the day of the Lord, this day of great judgment, started when Jesus stood in our place on the cross. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. For the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you. That means delight in you with loud singing. 
So I hope you know by now that this is not a please get your act together sermon. This is a please remember how loved you are by God sermon. And Romans 2 reminds us that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Repentance just means turning away from sin and self and turning back to God. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And so my prayer and hope is that the kindness of God, the love of God in Christ towards you and I would lead us back to him out of complacency, out of stagnation, out of the bottom of the milk jug, right? Back to rivers of living water. As I was studying, I came across this quote from Charles Spurgeon. Shocker, I'm going to quote Spurgeon. Listen to the heart of God here. He says, believer, you are happy when God blesses you, but not as, God, not as happy as God is. You are glad when you are pardoned, but he who pardons you is more glad. The prodigal son came back to his home and was very happy to see his father, but not as delighted as his father was to see him. The father's heart was more full of joy because his heart was larger than his son's. So listen, like no matter what you're coming from, if you're coming back to him today, I guarantee you he's welcoming you back with open arms and he's more excited to see you than you are to see him. The name Zephaniah literally translates as the Lord hides or he hides whom he loves. The Lord hides So this idea of something that is precious and valuable to you, you conceal it, you hide it, right? Well, what does the Bible tell us? Colossians 3, I believe it is, says that for those who surrender their lives to the lordship of Jesus, we, our lives, are hidden with Christ in God. And he loves you, and he can never stop loving you. You have to get out of your minds. I think so many people have in their minds that the gospel of Christ is some sort of cosmic loophole that we discovered, oh, if we trust in Jesus, we can escape the wrath of God. And God the Father was like, oh, you got me, right? And so he has to acknowledge it, but he begrudgingly lets us into his kingdom because we found this gospel loophole. That is, that is, the, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Nothing could be further from the truth. If Christ came to us while we were yet sinners, as we read in our liturgy, then we are secure. We are secure. He cannot love you any more than he does right now, and he will not love you any less. And nothing, not even our sin, can stop him from loving you. Like, if Christ could stop loving me because of my sin, then he never would have started in the first place. But the reality is that at the cross of Christ, all of our sins were future. 
And because all of our sins were future, when Christ died on the cross, he died for every single sin in our lives, past, present, or future. Every single one of them has been paid for. And since Christ finished the work of redemption on the cross, what did he cry out? Tetelestai. It is finished. It is done. It is paid for. Since he cried out that it is finished, that the work of redemption on the cross is done, nothing can ever condemn those who are in Christ. Nothing. And neither can anything ever separate us from the love of God in Christ. Let me read you. I know you're familiar with it, but let me read you this glorious passage from Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, and we know God is for us because we can look at the cross of Christ, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God and who is interceding for us now. Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, and we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are reminded in Zephaniah, God is in our midst. He is here. He is near to you, nearer than you even realize. The weary, the worn down, the brokenhearted, the sinners, the failures, he is near to us right here, right now. He is a mighty one who will save. He has saved us from sin and death through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And he will save you from meaninglessness, from despair, from hopelessness, from, from depression and anxiety and, and, and triviality and boredom and stupidness. He will rejoice over you with gladness. You know what that means? That means the God of the Bible not only has forgiven you for all of your sin, he actually likes you. I know, crazy, right? And let me tell you, this is one of those truths that if you can get a hold of it, it will absolutely revitalize your entire life. I've told you this before. But many of you are new, and you might not have heard this uh, story, just a brief story. A number of years ago, I was on uh, a 12-week sabbatical, and um, 
I was up in New York uh, staying at this house in the Hudson River Valley with my family. And uh, the year prior had been a pretty brutal year. Uh, of course, I had no idea what 2020 would be like at the time, but uh, it, it was pretty brutal. Lots of broken relationships. People left the church for various reasons. I was just pretty beat up, and I was questioning my call and a lot of things. And so I had a counselor, a coach um, for sabbatical, and, and he encouraged me as I was sort of lamenting. I wasn't lamenting. I was complaining about how I felt like everybody loved me just for what I could bring to them, give to them, not for me, right? Um, and that's true. We have a lot of relationships where people like you and love you because of what you do for them. And it's very transactional. and doesn't feel good. And I, so I felt that way basically about everybody. And so my coach was like, hey, I think you should take a prayer walk and just talk to the Lord. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. Uh, and then my wife said, no, I think you should. So I did it. And I, I'm out in the middle of the woods, and I am just complaining. Like, there's, there's no lament happening. It's just complaining, you know? Um, and I've, not, I have only had this mo- moment happen a couple of times in my life. But there was a moment where I, f- I felt like the Lord stopped me in my tracks, and I don't, I haven't heard a voice or anything like that, but this is the impression that I got. Brian, I'm the only one who loves you just for you because with me, you don't bring anything to the table. And I'm telling you, it broke me. Because for a lot of my life, I had felt like if I succeed, it, it's not quite good enough, but if I fail, it's expected, Right? And I thought that's how everybody else viewed me, and I thought that's how God viewed me. Even though I could preach to you (laughs) that God loved you ferociously, I didn't believe it for myself. And it took me until whatever age I was, 35, 36 years old, to finally have that penny drop to my soul and to realize, no, God created me, he made me, he wired me, and he loves me for me. Despite my failure, despite my sin, he loves me for me because I'm his beloved son. And I hope that it, just for one of you this morning, that penny would drop for you, that you would realize that God loves you ferociously. The text goes on to say, he will quiet us with his love, meaning he will quiet your anxious soul. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you have an anxious soul this morning? He will quiet your anxious mind. He will quiet your anxious soul. He will, his love will quiet all the fears that are welling up within you. Now, lastly, let's look, look here at verse 17 once again. The Lord God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing over you, over you. He will sing over you. How many of you, this makes you pretty uncomfortable? Am I alone in this? Listen, my wife threw me a surprise party when I turned like 23 or something like that. And uh, I can't remember exactly, but a whole bunch of people were at my house when I got there. And they're all like, hey, surprise, which I love surprises. But then they sang happy birthday to me, and I hated it. (laughs) Because in the brokenness of my soul, it was hard for me to believe that these people actually cared about me that much. I wonder if you resonate with that. 
But here is the Lord God, the creator and sustainer of all things, the one who made you and everything else in this neighborhood. Neighborhood. The, everything, it, he did make everything in this neighborhood. And the universe, by the way. Good grief. <laughs> and he is saying to you, 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 all of you, I delight in you. If your life is hidden with Christ in God, he says, I delight in you. Brothers and sisters, this is how God sees you. In Christ. If you are not in Christ, he loves you enough to call you to repent of your sin and trust in Christ. He loves you enough that he sent Jesus to die in your place for your sins so that he could love you like this. But if you are in Christ, this is how God sees you. This is how he thinks about you. What can you do about it? You can receive it. You can rejoice in it. You can let it melt your heart and change you. So as I wrap up, I have just three questions we're going to put up on the screen, and I'll pray for us, and we'll move into our time of response. So uh, I think they'll be up here on the screen, perhaps. First question. You can write these down, take a picture uh, when they're all up. Uh, this is the question I asked at the beginning. How do I think God sees me right now? And I'd add to that why. You know, depending on how you describe that, how you think God sees you, why? How do I think God views me, sees me, what his opinion of, is of me right now? Second, where have I, gone, where have I grown complacent or stagnant? Where have I stopped pursuing the Lord? Where do I lack intimacy with God? Have I stopped reading the scripture? Have I stopped praying? Am I more worried about current events than I am about him ministering to my soul? Where am I self-sufficient? and don't need God. Don't want his input. Don't, don't seek his counsel. Don't inquire of him. And then finally, what might change if I could embrace God's love and delight for me through Christ? That, that Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life I could never live. That Jesus died in my place for my sins. That Jesus rose again from the grave so that I could become a child of God. John 1, for any who, who claim the name of Christ, we have the right to be called the children of God. And God, if he's our father, he loves us with the same ferocious love that he loves Jesus himself. What might change in my life if I could embrace that God actually loves and delights in me because of Jesus? So I'm going to leave these questions up on the screen for you to contemplate. Um, I believe we are prepared for communion. And so um, once again, if you are a follower of Jesus and you want to participate in the Lord's Supper, uh, there should be a cup in the seat back in front of you. There's also some baskets on the front row, and we'll make sure we get some up, up there for y'all as well. If there aren't, oh, there are, okay. Um, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this isn't for you. And so I just ask you to not partake of this, but if you are a follower of Jesus, here's what I want you to do first. I want you to sit for a moment and just ask the Lord what he thinks of you. 
And think on that until you (laughs) sense him saying, I love you. I'm for you. I'm with you. You turn away from complacency and stagnation and sin and you turn to him. And then you remember that his body was broken for you, that his blood was spilled for you so that you could be forgiven and more than forgiven, accepted and loved. So at your own pace, you can partake in those elements. Um, Hold on to that cup so you can throw it in the trash on your way out. Let me pray for you. And then uh, we'll have a moment of silence and then the band's gonna lead us in some responsive singing. Father, thank you for Zephaniah 3. Thank you for the reminder of your ferocious love and how you sing over your people. That is such a hard thing for us to embrace, that you would love us broken, sinful, stupid people so much. And yet, for those of us who are parents, we totally get it, that there is nothing that would separate our love from our children, and and your love for us is infinitely greater than that. So I pray that today for any in this room who have not surrendered their life to Jesus, who have not accepted your love for them and your payment uh, for their sin, that they would repent and trust in you today. And for those of us who are weary and wounded and complacent and stagnant, that you would revive our hearts by your love this morning. Help us, Lord, as we respond now through communion uh, and through singing, would you be glorified and would you fill us with a sense of joy in your presence, we pray in the beautiful name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.